there are definitely times that I feel that way, that challenges feel insurmountable and it's tough to keep going. You know, I, I think a lot of what I do in those times is I just, I go back to kind of reading about other folks who are doing great work in the food industry. You know, I watch High on the Hog or, you know, I read an article in a food magazine that's covering some awesome pivot that somebody made in the pandemic to support their community. And, you know, that just inspires me. It makes me realize that there are so many other people out there who have the same level of passion, who are overcoming the challenges. And then I cook. I just take take a break and I, you know, get some ingredients that I love. And I just take time out, make a really good meal, get a night's sleep, and just get back after it. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. So welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm talking today with Ben Conniff, who is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Luke's Lobster. And if you know me, you know this is an exciting one for me because lobster is one of my favorite things and Luke's is definitely one of my favorite brands. So welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear your story and share the story of Luke's because I think it's an awesome brand that more people need to know about. So do you want to just talk a little bit about how you got involved with this and if this was sort of the way you thought you saw your your career going? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely not where I saw my career going. To be honest, I had no idea where my career was going. I had spent a couple of years out of college trying to work in journalism. So taking internships and staff jobs at magazines and radio shows and also freelance writing, uh, trying to find a landing place. And in that time, I discovered that I really had a passion for food above all else. I love cooking, I love eating, thinking about food, talking about food. And so I started to focus on writing about food. But ultimately, the writing part wasn't fulfilling for me. The sitting at a desk and tapping away and then submitting things and waiting to hear back from editors was did not fit well with the way I wanted to work, which was hands-on, face-to-face with other people. And, you know, it made me realize that I wanted to not be in the writing industry. I wanted to be in the food industry in a hands-on capacity. So I started just looking on Craigslist for restaurant jobs so I could get experience. And I couldn't actually get a response on most of those entry-level restaurant jobs that I applied for. But I found one post was from a guy named Luke who was working in finance, but had previously been a lobsterman and was really passionate about an idea to start a Maine style lobster shack in New York. And I thought, well, I love Maine. I love lobster. I'm not qualified to start a restaurant, but nothing bad ever came of sending an email. So I responded to his post and he got back to me almost immediately and, you know, it turned out he valued somebody who was willing to kind of put their thinking cap on and roll up their sleeves and get things done over direct restaurant experience. And we decided we were a good team. And 
we signed the lease and opened a restaurant 30 days later. Uh, wow. It was just a total madhouse from kind of the day we met till, well, till today. That's <laughs> how long ago was that? That was 12 and a half years ago, going on wow. 13 years. So you've been in a madhouse for 12 or 13 years. That's amazing. So you must be used to it at least. <laughs> yeah, definitely used to it. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody works in the food industry and isn't a little bit crazy. There's never a level of comfort. It's always, you know, what challenges are coming our way today? How can we handle those? And how can we look out for what challenges might come our way tomorrow? That's the essence of working in food. So it's so interesting that you started with a little idea for a restaurant, right? You opened one store. And when you did that, did you think that it was going to turn into the expansive kind of offering you have now? Was that the plan or were you just like, we're going to open a restaurant? That's what we're doing. It was just, you know, most restaurants fail within the first year. So my goal was to start a restaurant and have that restaurant continue to exist and make really good food and have a good time interacting with people. And yeah, that was it. You know, if we could make amazing food and just treat people well and enjoy ourselves, then that was kind of the only goal. And then what? How did it turn into what it is now? I think the response that we got when we first opened was just way beyond what we'd expected. The story of, you know, Luke and his family's background in the lobster industry and how that tied to the the trust and transparency we created around how we source lobster. And then, of course, how that translated into how good the lobster rolls tasted. Mm-hmm. All that combined to just, you know, create lines that would go out the door and around the block. And we thought, you know, if, if this works this well and is this popular in this one little spot, there's probably room for more. And, you know, at the time, the lobster industry prices were still really depressed from coming through the recession. Mm-hmm. And we needed to find more markets for a great Maine lobster. So, you know, it was an opportunity for us to expand what we were doing and to expand the market for Maine lobster even more. And to create new opportunities for our team who were really talented working in that first location. So we decided, you know what, we'll we'll open a second one up on the Upper East Side. And kind of the same thing happened there. And, you know, at the the time that we opened the second one, Luke decided, you know what, I'm going to leave my day job and we're going to see if, you know, if the second one works, then we could start thinking about really expanding this business. And that's exactly what happened. Amazing. So talk about where you are now. Because that's a great story. And New York's the toughest market. So even starting there is so like, I'm sure there are people who are like, not don't go to New York first. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There are people who, you know, there are people who have large restaurant chains who still avoid New York. Yes, they do. Like when I talk to people, they're like everywhere but New York. We're just not going to New York. It's the toughest market. And you guys started there, which is so great because you were successful in the hardest market. And now talk about where you guys are now from a brand perspective, because you're way beyond some small lobster roll restaurants, which are amazing. I love them. That's how I got exposed to you as well. Thank you. Yeah. So we have restaurants in nine different cities now. We have 18 restaurants running in the U.S. down a little bit because of COVID. We lost a few, but we kept the vast majority. We also have restaurants in Japan and Singapore with licensed partners over there who buy the seafood directly from us and operate those restaurants. And as of 2013, we actually buy the seafood ourselves directly from fishermen and fishing co-ops. We take it to our production facility 
in Saco, Maine, that we do all the cooking, processing, packing. We send it directly to our shacks, but we've also expanded into a branded grocery line that you can mm-hmm. find in supermarkets around the country. We have a big wholesale business. And during the pandemic, we also started an online market that ships direct from here in Saco to consumers around the country. So can you talk a little bit about your grocery line? Like what made you decide to do that? It's such a tough transition to make and maintain. I mean, the retail industry is completely different than the restaurant industry. So talk about that a little bit. There's really a chicken in the egg with our restaurant group and our facility in Saco, where in order to keep growing our restaurants and open more shacks around the country, we needed to control our supply. We needed to control our quality. And we didn't want to just be going out on the open market looking for whatever lobster meat was available. Mm -hmm. But then we had to invest in a sizable facility up here in a big team, in a ton of overhead. And we had to start buying the entire lobster. Whereas when we started, we were just buying the knuckle and claw meat. Mm -hmm. So now we have the whole lobster coming in. We use the knuckle and claw meat for our lobster rolls in our restaurants, but we have tails and we have all the rest of the lobster that we need to utilize in order to not go completely broke. Yeah. Because you pay the lobsterman for the whole lobster. And if you can't get as much value as you possibly can out of every part of that lobster, then you're going to be upside down immediately. So that led us to look for other avenues to sell the products that we weren't using in our shacks. So lobster tails being the principal among those very high value product that we needed to sell and get value for in order to make the whole business model make sense. Mm -hmm. And once we started getting really good wholesale grocery accounts for lobster tails and for some of our other items, we decided that it would be even better if we could use that as an opportunity to expand our brand. Mm -hmm. And we were very lucky to have an amazing relationship with Whole Foods at the time. They were our first big grocery customer. And they really helped us through the process of converting what was just unbranded Mm -hmm. lobster products in their seafood counter, which we still do, to also a branded box in their frozen seafood section, which then just brought so much more brand equity to Luke's and offered Whole Foods another product in another format that they could offer to their customers. And there was an amazing win-win there. And then, you know, alongside them, we've gone through further product R&D and launched new SKUs in that seafood freezer. And then from there, ultimately expanded out to other grocery chains. What's your distribution like now? Like how wide? We are nationwide with our grocery products Mm -hmm. in a bunch of different chains. And we also distribute some of those grocery products through our same partner in Singapore. So they're available in Singapore as well. Awesome. How have you found the retail side of it versus the restaurant side? Just so different from a how you market, how you brand, how you get consumers in, keep distribution, all that stuff that you, I mean, it's similar, but not the same as restaurants. Yeah, it's very different and it's been a learning curve. We're certainly not experts at it yet. I mean, we're not experts at anything because you're always learning, right? But yeah, what it takes to market a group of of little lobster shacks 
compared to being a grocery brand is very different. And we've just had to take the time with our marketing team, with our sales team to learn and to join industry groups, to do webinars, to you know, talk to other folks who work in the industry who are friends of ours. And, you know, luckily it's, it's just a, a great community in the sustainable food world. Folks want to help each other out, want to give each other advice, want to align their brands when they have a similar mission. And that's allowed us to get intros to the right buyers, the right grocery chains, to do the right types of co-branding and marketing and to learn what it takes to get people aware that your products are not just in a restaurant, but also on a grocery shelf. Yeah, it's pretty wild. What do you feel like the biggest challenge has been for you guys or is for you guys right now? I think the biggest challenge for us is really just, it's a very volatile industry. The price of lobster over the last few years has gone through some pretty wild up and down swings. Mm -hmm. And you know, a customer would love to see consistency and know that they're going to get basically the same thing for the same price every year. Yeah. And so there's a ton of education that we need to do to consumers on what the supply and demand dynamics are in the industry and, you know, why prices are what they are and to get people comfortable with that. And then to, you know, to adjust our marketing to like what might've been, and everyday food for some people when we opened at the prices we opened at, you know, is now a special occasion food. Yeah. And so, you know, we just need to make sure our experience matches that, the way we yeah. treat our guests matches that, the way we talk about the product matches that. And we continue to, you know, grow and, and bring in new customers if folks that used to come once a week are not coming once a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just yep. being able to adapt and also being able to support the fishery because the fishermen go through all of that volatility as well. Yeah. And, you know, we need to make sure that they can trust that we're there, you know, with predictable relationships so that they're not going to go out, gas their boat, buy their bait and not have the right buyer at the right price when they come in. Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate your brand for, cause now you guys, I don't know if you were the very first, but you were early on one of the first lobster shacks that I felt like was anywhere outside of a place where you actually get lobster like Maine. And now there are food trucks everywhere, right there. I can't remember the name. There's a couple of other brands I've seen around. So how do you guys differentiate Luke's now? You know, the big deal, what we say internally is this mantra of know your seafood. What differentiates us from every other lobster roll brand and from almost every other seafood restaurant is that when we need more seafood, we don't call up a distributor and say, you know, bring me 80 more widgets. Mm-hmm. We go to fishermen, we buy the product directly from them. We know exactly how they're fishing, where they're fishing, who they are, what their needs are. And we know how they're handling the lobster when it comes out of the trap, onto their boat, off their boat, into the crate, into the buy station, in the tanks, in the truck, into our facility, every step it takes in our facility. And so the level of just quality control, transparency, the knowledge of sustainability, the ability to give back to the industry and the community, that's just not available to anyone else in this business. Because again, they just call up a distributor or best case, call up a processor and just order more seafood. They get what's given to them. They don't control that quality. They don't control anything about it. 
And there's just not that intimate knowledge mm-hmm. of how the industry works, what the industry needs, and how to deliver the absolute best lobster to the guest at the end of the day. Do you feel that the education that you're doing with consumers has been useful or is there still way more to go? Because it feels like that's something a lot of people don't think about. I mean, there are obviously a handful of people who are really concerned about that, which is awesome and it's growing. But do you feel like there's still a lot of educating to be done? It's useful, but there is still so much to be done. And with a little shack, you know, you only have a few minutes of interaction and you only have so much wall space and and we constantly are working on how to redesign just what the shack looks like in order to portray some of that story of what happens between the ocean and the plate and the people involved. And to do that while still giving guests like a comfortable dining experience where we're not just beating them over the head. Yes, so yes, we can't preach at them. We know that. We're always happen. walking that line, but you know, we're trying to tell positive stories that make them feel good about dining with us as opposed to horror stories about, you know, what they might get elsewhere. And I think the difference, you know, when when we first started, maybe 1% of our guests cared about sustainability and the backstory of our seafood mm-hmm. and and you know, now it's probably over 50%. People That's love amazing. talking about it. Getting our B Corp certification really helped on that front. You know, it's an easy way to communicate how committed we are to our mission. And then we've just been able to go so far beyond what we once did, which was just source exclusively sustainable seafood. Now we're working directly with fishermen and wharfs to reduce their carbon footprints and look at alternative energy sources and put solar panels on their roofs and you know, we're making really meaningful impact, not just in our own four walls, but engaging with our industry and supply chain and looking to make wholesale change in an entire industry. And that that's really exciting for guests because a lot of people are throwing around the word sustainability are, and are. making a few very token adjustments yeah. to their business. But That's very easy to see through for today's consumer. And when you're able to dig deep and the deeper you dig, the more really inspiring stories you find out about a company's work, you know, that's where I think the impact is going to come. And the more we can convince people to like, to keep digging, not just into our business, but any business they interact with as they're making the consumer choices, we want people to dig in and learn more. And that's where we know we really excel. Because there's there's really no bottom to the iceberg where you walk by and you see the tip and it's just a Luke's lobster sign and it's a lobster roll. But as you keep going down mm-hmm. further and further, you just see more and more supply chain work that we're doing to really make positive change. Well, that's awesome, first of all. And I think that that's really admirable. And I, I agree with you completely that there are so many brands that are doing this token sustainability message where it's just... They say something by a period of time, we're going to be X percent and that that's enough. And it's not obviously enough, which is why I even started doing this in the first place is just to really try to get the right information to consumers so they could make informed decisions, which is what I think you guys are doing too. When you think about who's going to the grocery store to buy Luke's, is it your customers from the restaurant who are then saying, well, I want it more and in different points in time, or is it a whole different audience of people? I think it's really helped us to meet the Luke's customer where they are. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for example, if I 
live in the suburbs and I work in the city, I might get to eat a loose lobster roll for lunch every so often, but my family back at home never gets to. Yeah. So if I can stop at Whole Foods on the way home and I can bring them the lobster meat, I can bring them lobster tails and I can sort of take the experience that I had at Luke's and bring that to other folks who don't work in the city. That's a big one. Folks who used to come to Luke's a lot before they settled down and had a family and they were out in the city all the time going to restaurants. And now like they're rushing home and they got to be with their kids. Like the grocery product gives them the opportunity to have the Luke's experience they used to have, but don't have as much anymore. Yeah. And then I think there's a big audience for the folks that had Luke's on a trip to Portland or Boston or New York, and then they went back home to Scottsdale mm-hmm. and there's no Luke's there, but they can go into a Sprouts or a Whole Foods and they can pick up Luke's lobster product and recreate that experience so far away. That's a great grocery market for us as well. Yeah. And then what about people who don't know Luke's? That has to be a, a very huge pool of people to try to get to. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for us to introduce our brand to folks for the first time and help them have great first lobster experiences. You know, a lot of folks, like, they're just not ready. They don't have the time to, like, do the production of, like, I'm going to get a whole steamed lobster and I'm going to break that thing down myself. And, you know, they could go online to Luke's and they could get that whole steamed lobster. But if they want something simpler to be able to just get the lobster tails from their local supermarket freezer and be able to be able to make that product and and then say, oh my gosh, like I followed these cooking instructions and this is better than any lobster I've ever had. And it's just a matter of kind of doing it the right way, treating the product the right way all the way through till it gets into the freezer, till it gets shipped out to your grocery store. You know, a lot of folks haven't had seafood that was really handled properly cooked properly and what they're used to with lobster is really not up to par with what it could be so we just love that folks all around the country can grab our product in the supermarket and just get a totally new sense of what lobster can be like when it's done right it's amazing because i do think that once you've had good lobster and then you go around i mean in places where it isn't common, it's hard to get good lobster. And you really know when you don't have good lobster once you've had good lobster. So I think that's cool that you're doing that. What's next for you guys? At this point, what's next is really just trying to get back to growing on every front. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic's over, but we're learning to live with that and to get restaurants, you know, back and lively again and and get offices back open. So we're going to be opening new Luke's locations for the first time since 2019, which is really exciting. We're going to continue to get our branded grocery products into new locations and also continue to expand our line. You know, we have some great, really easy, ready to heat items in those freezers, like our lobster mac and cheese and our lobster bisque and our lobster cakes. So it's not all stuff that requires culinary knowledge. Some of it is just pop it in the oven or the microwave. So we're going to continue to expand those products to make it easy to have a great lobster experience in, you know, just at the drop of a hat, quick weeknight meals. We're really excited for that. And then we're going to continue to grow our online market too, and just reach more people who 
you know, don't even have a supermarket that has a Luke's yeah. product in it. You yeah. know, they can still go online. They can still get great lobster meat, whole lobster and lobster products. And, you know, ultimately we'll, we'll continue to diversify too. We have so many other good connections to other seafood, whether it's Jonah crab from Maine and Massachusetts, scallops from Maine and Massachusetts, amazing sustainable shrimp from the Gaspé Bay of Quebec. And then like, awesome aquaculture products here in Maine, whether that's kelp from Atlantic Sea Farms or oysters or mussels. We want to continue to engage with the rest of the industry and ultimately yeah. start being seen not just as the place for lobster or lobster yeah. rolls, but you know, really a good hub to get amazing sustainable seafood of all kinds. What do you feel? It's interesting to talk about because I had talked to someone who was doing this in the beef industry as well. It's not that common to have to look for branded seafood, right? When you go to Whole Foods or you go to the fish market, you go to the grocery store, you're not thinking about brands as much as you do with other things in the grocery store. So how do you kind of get people to make that leap to, I have to think about this from a brand perspective, like Luke's lobster in the freezer might be better than going to the counter at my local grocery store. How do you do that? So I think some of that is happening naturally as people want to know more about their food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's often a limit to what the person behind the seafood counter knows about the origin and the process of each product. Whereas if you can take out a box and it says right on the box where this came from, how it was produced, and you can learn more about the values of that brand from the box, that's going to entice a lot of younger consumers who are really moving into their grocery buying years right now in a way that just seeing the totally blank, like the fish sitting in that counter just doesn't do. Yeah. And then the other piece of it is people are starting to learn and and we're kind of supporting as much of this type of journalism and education out there as possible. People are starting to learn that it can be much better quality wise for you to get something out of the freezer case than to get something that is quote unquote fresh from that counter. Yeah. Almost all of that was previously frozen. Yep. And now it's been thawed for however long. So your clock has just been running on the shelf life of the seafood sitting in that counter that was already frozen. So you're better off unless you need it for, you know, right away, you're better off to stock up on a really great frozen product, particularly. So we freeze with liquid nitrogen. So it freezes hard below zero in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that just has virtually no effect on the flavor and texture of seafood in the way that it, it certainly would if you just put it in your freezer at home. Yep. So the advances in freezing technology and just consumer knowledge and understanding of like, what is the process of how food is getting from where it came from to the grocery store? And once they realize that what they're buying at that seafood counter is unbranded, has no story, has already been frozen, has been thawed for an unknown amount of time, and they compare that to a package in the freezer that is pristine, that they control when and how it thaws, and that has the whole story of the product and the brand and the impact and the mission right there in front of them. Like, I think that's the direction people are going, even without us having to push them that hard. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. The the freezer section has definitely come a long way. Like I think the I'm going there to buy a bunch of stuff in a box that I don't know anything about because it's quick is 
is be, we're beyond that now. And now we're at the place where I think people are really starting to understand that that may be the, and especially people who don't have access to fresh all the time. I mean, I think that's definitely the way to go. And I love that that's happening because I think there was a real sort of bunch of misinformation. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's, there's plenty of reasons that people have avoided the freezer section in the past, you know, the, the TV dinners that were that section when I was a kid were like not good for you in any way, not good for the planet either. But, you know, as you say, times are really changing and having amazing sustainable products in that freezer that taste great. It's more equitable now that folks Definitely. all over the place can yeah. have access to really good food that they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. I think it's a really good thing. I mean, you see it in, you know, fruit and vegetables too, just like the quality of some really sustainable fruit and vegetables in the freezer section and how much more sustainable it was to get them there than it would have been to move them fresh. And just like the poor quality that's inherent with the the kind of processing and moving of, of fresh fruits and vegetables. Like freezing technology is really, I think, helping people get access to yes. higher quality, healthier food. Much needed access, I would say. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I think this is so interesting. Advice for people who are just getting started and don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you were you were flying blind when you did it and you probably learned a lot of great lessons. Anything to share from that? I would just say the number one thing is don't ever start a food business that you're not insanely passionate about because no amount of like dollars, which frankly are not going to be there or anything else really are going to justify the hours and the difficulty that you're going to go through starting a food business and building a food business if you're not super passionate about it. So that is the number one thing. If you're just like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur and I'm throwing some ideas at the wall and seeing which one sticks, just don't. Just go work for another company because yeah. being an entrepreneur is really hard and it takes absolute dedication. So don't do it unless you are absolutely passionate about the thing it is that you're going to go do. And then in this day and age, if you're not thinking about how that idea, that product, that service is going to have a positive environmental and social impact, then you're not going to succeed because, you know, consumers today are going to demand that and more and more so as time goes on. And it is a situation where if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem, particularly if you're in the food industry. Yeah. So we all need to be thinking about that in the work we do, the products we make and the companies that we support and the products that we buy. So going into business without that in the forefront of your mind, is just not a good business plan. I love that you're talking about that because when you think about all the bad things that are happening, right, there are a lot of bad things that happen every day and we're in the middle of some crazy times. But the fact that you're saying, if you're not going to do things that are helping, and if you're not going to be part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And the fact that that matters at this point is so awesome. And I think we lose sight of it because there's so many bad things to talk about. But the idea that people are starting to really ask the right questions and think about what they're putting in their bodies and where it comes from and how it affects the rest of us, I think that's amazing. And I think it's nice that you said it because I think we lose sight of some of those good things that are happening. And that's real progress. I mean, it took a long time and there's still a long way to go, but it's definitely progress. 100%. And it's just, you know, when I, 
like I just finished reviewing some intern applications from college students and the way they talk about sustainability in food, in energy. I mean, these are things that never once crossed my mind when I was in college. And, you know, now I'm like an insanely passionate sustainability person. So to think that today's students are already at or beyond where I am. It's great. You know, you just think about the kind of consumers they are going to be when they kind of reach that age where they have purchasing power. It's really inspiring. And I think it is easy to fall into a place of pessimism when you look at a lot of the difficulties that we're facing as a country, as a world right now, and, and all the tension that we see. But I think realizing, you know, how passionate this generation is about doing the right thing and also just recentering around the fact that like, no matter what we disagree on, you know, at heart, the vast majority of people out there are trying to do the right thing as well. I think grounding yourself in that and having some optimism every day is really important. It is. I mean, it certainly makes the world a lot brighter. I'll ask you one more question, then I'm going to let you go. What do you do? Because there have to be times when you're like, what? This is so hard. I don't know if I can keep doing this. What do you do then? Like, who do you turn to? How do you get yourself back to thinking like, I can do it. It's going to be awesome. That's a great question. There are definitely times that I feel that way, that challenges feel insurmountable and it's tough to keep going. You know, I I think a lot of what I do in those times is I just, I go back to kind of reading about other folks who are doing great work in the food industry. You know, I watch High on the Hog or, you know, I read an article in a food magazine that's covering some awesome pivot that somebody made in the pandemic to support their community. And, you know, that just inspires me. It makes me realize that there are so many other people out there who have the same level of passion who are overcoming the challenges. And then I cook. I just take take a break and I, you know, get some ingredients that I love. And I just take time out, make a really good meal, get a night's sleep, and just get back after it. That's great. That's awesome. I love the cooking part. I mean, a lot of people talk about the things they read and the things they watch, but the cooking part's amazing because it's an emotional but physical transition into a different place, which I think is so cool. And obviously that's what got you into this in the first place. So it's cool that you still use it to keep you motivated. It's really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a recentering exercise for me when I get a little bit too in my head. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? This has been incredible and inspiring. No, I think this is great. Good. I'm so happy. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And I think that my listeners are going to love the way you're talking about what you're doing and the whys behind it are really important. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.